0: Was it Bobby's World? The no, mom. Bobby's World. world. She yeah, was I don't Irish. know. Irish? You
1: don't know. I don't you know, see Bobby. Oh, shit. I got to mute that on YouTube. Is that, that's how we started this whole entire thing. Is that Bobby's World? What is that? Oh. What the hell is this news? whoops oh, Thanks for hitting
0: the button, Ryan. oh geez <laughs> somebody give us a heads up this time. Early. Okay. Oh, does he need to have that power? I, I don't know. Uh, I'll be right back. I think Ryan, I'm going to ask you not to zoom in. Don't zoom in on uh, OBS. No, Just, don't. No, don't zoom in because right I now happen- you're
1: like
0: you're you're zooming in. Just let us let us live on the side. Just let us live there. <laughs> Let let us live on the side. Yeah. You're not the boss of us, Ryan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the news. Just, we have breaking news. Uh, Ryan's going to adjust things live on the air.
1: Hmm. Deb will just creepily be in the background making comments. It
0: really is creepy.
1: It is a little bit. All right. Will this be recorded and viewed outside of the t- streaming? Yes, it will.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Chungo. Thanks for having thank right.
1: Okay. Well, it seems like it's working. Uh, we should probably give it a little while till we have more people. You know, we can refuse to perform until we have an appropriately sized audience. Yep. What, what number? What number do we want to wait for? 7, <laughs> Seventy 70,000. I'm going to die here.
0: I am. I'm gonna do one of those marathon live streams on Twitch where okay. I just keep just keep doing it until like more people show up. It's a 12 hour Whoa. stream. Let's see am oh, Not raising money for charity or anything. I'm just gonna do it.
1: Right. <laughs> just gonna do it. <laughs> we should go on the roof, Jason. We should do like <laughs> we gotta get us off the roof and donate money. You can't, you can't go
0: to your roof. It's negative 15 degrees where you're at. I'm hoping it
1: won't take long. <laughs> Go uh. uh. crazy on YouTube! Wow! How can
0: I get stickers, Kyle? Well, <laughs> this is a good way to get started. All Step right.
1: one: cure coronavirus. <laughs> <Then>
0: <laughs> two:
1: <laughs> a free <laughs> Right.
0: So Ryan's got like a twitchy finger trying to adjust OBS. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <sighs> All
1: right. Now oh, yeah. we lost some viewers. Oh, we're losing them. Brian. Oh, oh, <laughs> we haven't gotten to the news yet. No, oh, we haven't. This is what happens. This is all this is all fickle. The audience they show up, and there's like, there's no news here. This was crap This is just four people on, on YouTube. They're like, well look at us. And <laughs> yeah. Whatever.
0: All right, John. Let's do the news. All right. <laughs>
1: All right, thank you and welcome to, to Black Hills Information Security Information News, the news story that we're relying on you to actually name our show. Uh, we have no idea what the hell to call this train wreck, but we're hoping you come up with something better than we did, which is I, nothing.
0: Did you just but name it Trainwreck News?
1: Trainwreck <laughs> News? train wreck the lighter news? side of life? Maybe, maybe, but we'll leave that to the chat. You guys come up, talk amongst yourselves, come up with the name, do our work for us, Because it's not like I'm on the news right now with three people that I literally hire to come up with crap like this.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's get started.
1: (laughs) All right. The first news story um, National Guard in Louisiana has been called in. I don't know if you've seen this news story yet, but they've been called in to thwart cyber attacks against Louisiana. And it's not just Louisiana, there's also Washington State has been seeing these cyber attacks as well. And I, I love the name of the tool. They called it the Kim Jong Rat. Uh, for those of you that don't know, in security, whenever you hear something referred to as a rat, it re- means remote access trojan or remote access tool. It's basically a backdoor. And I've got to, I got to give, got to be honest. This is a great name for a tool. I don't know how you guys feel, but Kim Jong Rat just really drives it home. Now, if you heard of a remote access tool called Kim Jong Rat. Who would you assume may be behind this particular attack?
0: Is this a rhetorical question, or can I answer? It
1: that? is. It's kind of an open question for everybody. Okay. Okay. Well. Ooh. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Tough one. <sighs> so, so the answer to that question is North Korea. And oh, this one. Oh. Yeah, yeah, North Korea. That's that's fifth grade geography. Um, so <laughs> I'm just waiting for you guys to start firing back on me. But um, so what's interesting about this is there are some people that are saying this is a North Korean attack. That's not necessarily true. The actual code for this backdoor has been public for quite some time. So anybody can actually use this tool. Now, the real question that a lot of people are asking about this particular news story is are the attackers using this for a ransomware attack for financial gain? What's weird is the article seems to go out of its way to kind of like take it away from financial gain. And one person even said they, they don't know the particular groups behind this even being involved in trying to do this for financial gain. And the real concern is something that we talked about last week on the news. It isn't so much financial gain as it is chaos. And if they can take over a, a an election system in some state somewhere, um, then they have the ability to actually sow chaos and confusion in the rest of the election. So it's not an issue of hacking absolutely everything. It's actually an issue of just gaining access or basically locking down one state or one parish, as it would be in Louisiana, or one county coming back. The, the other concern that I have about this article is if you look at the date, it says the National Guard is called in to thwart the cyber attack, and it's from October 23rd, which is three days ago. The concern I have is they should have probably called in the National Guard earlier. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would think if you're a governor of a state, you probably want some cyber protections for the election, not just wait for attacks to actually
0: happen. Um, yeah, like actually stand up the National Guard ahead of time. Yeah, uh, that might be a good idea, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, the other thing – oh, go ahead, Jason. I, I've just heard that the National Guard has great cybersecurity people because it's the National Guard. It's not your day job. It's the, My day job is – Cybersecurity, and then I do it also for the National Guard.
1: So. And having it was since we both worked with the Sands Institute, we saw tons of people coming through from the National Guard, and they were being trained under the 255 Sierra program out of mm-hmm. Fort Gordon. And there's a lot of really amazing guardsmen and women uh, that are there and ready to protect uh, the election. The other thing, and it's probably a bit late for this election. Uh, Active countermeasures actually was releasing free versions of AI Hunter to anybody that was involved in election security for free, so that was kind of fun as well. So, so do we have any? Um, uh, let's see what we got for questions. Blah 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 blah. Dumpster fire news. That the news you should care about looks like that. So this is an interesting story, but I, I'm, I'm afraid it's setting the stage for ultimately what is going to be happening over the next week and even into the after the election happens next Tuesday. So we've got to be keeping our eyes on the news of different cyber attacks, different threat actors, and kind of what they're doing. And the other thing that I think all of us should do in computer security is actively go out and have conversations with friends and family to let them know what may happen, how it may occur, that if you see one hack in one county someplace, it's not indicative of the entire election system being hacked If you have a hack in a state and a county, it doesn't mean that that entire state itself is hacked. So that's kind of important. So I wanted to talk a little bit about remote access Trojans just because I think they're cool. And one of the things about a remote access Trojan that many people don't know is that there's a multitude of different ways that they can actually communicate. Now, a number of you that have joined the news here live actually came through Discord This is a remote access Trojan or RAT that communicates through Discord, uh, which is neat. So there's a lot of different remote access Trojans. They can communicate through Gmail. They can communicate through Discord. They can communicate through Twitter. They can communicate through Google searches. And this opens up all kinds of issues for people because I I think they believe that cyber attackers have these IP addresses. Sorry, I saw Borat too. So I got to do it in like Kazakhstan isn't that? Um, and we could just block those IP addresses. It's not that simple. Whenever you're trying to find where the attackers are communicating with each other, you can't just look for evil IP addresses and blacklist them or domains and blacklist them. You need to actually get down into what is the communication profile. Is it beaconing? Is it abnormal traffic profiles? To truly understand whether or not it is malicious. So this is a really cool remote access Trojan. Um, it's Abaddon, uh, Abaddon, there's two D's there. I don't know how that's pronounced, Um, but it uses discord for command and control. It also steals all your Chrome cookies and credit card numbers and credentials, and then your steam credentials, and then your games too, which I thought was kind of cool.
0: Do we need to check our discord and see if this is running on
1: our discord? No, we, we, it's always a good idea. Unfortunately, this is not something that we can check on our discord. But the attacker can set up their own Discord server or their own Discord chat rooms. And then the command and control goes through that. Mm. What's interesting is if you're a cyber defender trying to detect that attack traffic, you're just seeing it go to Discord. You don't necessarily know it's going to BHIS's Discord or the Abaddon's Discord. It's just going to Discord. So Hmm. pretty cool. So uh, Congo Blanco said there are cyber commands all over already. Couldn't it be that they're just really uh, doing that job or this is just a PR move uh, by the governor? Um, so they're talking about the uh, the cyber attacks in Louisiana. Yeah, I, I honestly think that a lot of states have already mobilized. A lot of assets to try to protect the states, but I, I don't want to get into it on a state-by-state basis. I do know that some states have actually done very little, if anything, to protect their elections at all from a cyber perspective. So that's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, so, uh, Megan wants to make sure that they better not mess with her Civ. Same game. Same I, saved games.
1: It was all fun and games until they started messing with our Steam accounts and, and destroying our games. And then it was on. Uh, so that's that's pretty, pretty cool one. All right. The next uh, story it, I want... Oh, go ahead,
0: well, is, is it illegal to own a rat... I mean, Mm -hmm. is it illegal to be in possession of a rat?
1: So this is where it gets dicey. Based on where you live, it could be. Mm -hmm. Now, the big thing I want to impress upon everybody is you can, in fact, be sued and you can have charges brought against you by the state, regardless of what the laws actually state. Um, So if you look at some states like Maryland... They were looking at banning uh, the possession or utilization of malware without really clarifying what that is. If you look at countries like Germany, they had the 202C law that said the creation, distribution or possession of tools used for cyber attacks was illegal. And eventually that had to get clarified. What is a cyber attack tool? Because you can literally use anything. And they clarified and they said tools created with malicious intent. And that's really difficult to prove. Hmm. Um, There's a much larger conversation that's going on in the industry right now where people write tools like backdoors, like Marcello and Joff. And, you know, we've had a number of people that have created and released backdoors and there's a little bit of friction in the industry where some people on the blue team side or the defenders say that should be illegal or they shouldn't do that. And then you have red teamers or offensive people that emulate what attackers do, basically saying, we're trying to bring attention to the security risks that are out there. So there's definitely some conflict in this area right now. And right now, I would hate to have anybody that's a listener be on the front lines of this, but I would urge any of you, if you're involved in doing offensive tooling and offensive research to couple that and temper it with solid defensive recommendations. Mm -hmm. So if you release an open source tool that's offensive, you should have a section in your GitHub page or you should have a section on your blog that says to defend against this attack, do these following things. Um, And this gets into a larger conversation. We're, We're doing this video on YouTube. YouTube has actively gone through a number of different streams that talk oh, yeah. about offense and hacking and have banned them. So here at Black Hills Information Security, we're trying to be really careful about how we balance discussing offense with the defense to make sure that the gods at Google don't shut us down. It, so
0: this kind of reminds me in high school of how I was driving around to get pulled over. And if you had a, like one of those car window shims that you would use, yeah. like you, it could be considered an illegal tool, but it's also used to get into my car. Is this like the same kind of situation?
1: So you're telling me you had to get into your car all the time using uh, uh, uh what are they called uh, <laughs> a, a slapjack or what, what what is it called? Just uh, I don't
0: so, I generally. don't feel I don't feel like I need this line of questioning.
1: <laughs> uh, are you my attorney? So, uh, but yeah, very similar to that. You don't want to be in a compromising situation where you all of a sudden have a bunch of malware on your computer. So an example would be if you consider yourself gray hat. And you're at the airport, you've got antennas sticking out of your backpack, you're creating malicious access points, you're harvesting credentials for research, mm-hmm. and they basically find you with all this stuff. Yeah, that's not going to be a good day for you. Uh, so there is no real concept, in my opinion, of a gray hat hacker. As soon as you're starting to gain access to people's computers without authorization, you cross that line. I believe very firmly, however, that maintaining access to tools and using these offensive tools much like a locksmith is part of our job. Uh, Like a locksmith would absolutely have that. They do home security. We're doing Mm -hmm. computer security. I did get asked once, this is funny. I was flying to DerbyCon and I missed the flight. Actually, the flight got canceled. It was the one year that I didn't present. And um, I was going through airport security with a bunch of lockpicks and they saw them. And then they pulled me over to the head TSA person. And they're like, so uh, you got all these lockpicks. Uh, do you have a license for this? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, do you do this professionally? And I'm like, well, here you can Google John Strand, never mind the male model. And went through, you know, this is Sans. There's a website. I teach this stuff. This is what I do. He goes, well, anybody could have made that up. In, <laughs> my wallet, in my wallet, ISC squared sent me my CISSP diploma, and it was the size of a credit card. I hmm. took out my CISSP card and I handed it to him. And he looked at it and he goes, okay, this checks out. And he let me plane <laughs> with lockpicks because I was a CISSP. Huh. So that was kind of funny.
0: So uh, before you get on to the next story, the one thing I'm afraid of is there's a fly buzzing around and I'm so afraid it's going to land on me and it's going to be like that moment during the debate <laughs> of, a few weeks ago and, and then that becomes the story. But keep going, John. No, that's
1: fine. I can't see the fly. I thought it was in here somewhere. Uh, No, no. no. Um, Another kind of interesting attack, um, GitHub GIST, uh, there was uh, account takeover vulnerability for GitHub, and it allows you to bypass two-factor authentication and gain access to other people's code. There's two things that are interesting to me on this particular case. One, it just impacted GitHub gist. It didn't hit um, all of GitHub, but it was it was interesting because it leveraged something called a cross site scripting vulnerability. Um, so let me explain what that is. So whenever you go to a website, as an attacker, I can send you a link, and in that link, it can give me the attacker your your tasty tasty cookies. Right, your cookies mm-hmm. would be your session identifiers to identify who you are on that website. So every time you go to a website, you give them your session identifier and that website knows who you are and where you're logged into on the page. And it keeps trackable It knows you've authenticated with a cross-site scripting attack. I can send code to the server, but here's where it gets weird. The server then reflects it back to the victim's browser. And the victim's browser reads this as send your session identification information over to this attacker over at this other computer. And it'll give that cookie or that session identification information to the attacker. Now, when the attacker has that cookie, it's like that all access badge that you see at a concert where you can walk around like Wayne's world and you can hold the badge up and security lets you write in. As soon as I get your session identification information, I'm effectively you and I don't have to know your password and I can log directly into the website as you. But the key is the server takes the code when you click the link and reflects it back to the victim where the victim's browser actually executes it. So this is an interesting uh, bug for a number of reasons. One account o- takeover in something like GitHub is huge because there's a lot of code that's really important that's stored on GitHub. And it's not just you know proprietary code for some companies, but open source projects. If an attacker was able to take over an account, they would be able to maybe insert back doors into other people's code. And then when mm. it was downloaded and compiled, mm. they could take over it. But luckily, this particular attack was discovered through a bug bounty program. And uh, they were awarded uh, anywhere between ten and $20,000 for this particular bug. And that brings me to my second point of this story. I find it criminal how little these companies pay for some of these vulnerabilities as mm. dangerous can be to a company to just give someone $10,000 is terrifying, but also in the bug bounty program, that's a lot of money these days. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations, they won't even give you $10,000. They'll send you a t-shirt. Um, so I don't think that companies are paying out as much as they should for vulnerabilities of this particular class, but, um, but no, it's just an interesting, um, it's just an interesting vulnerability. And, uh, I like it. Uh, because GitHub is center to so many things in computer security, so this basically boils down to don 't click on links from strangers or go to weird mm-hmm. websites i suppose so my
0: follow up to this one is i I think we joked about how since Defcon was going to be defcon was using Discord that Discord was about to get thirty thousand unauthorized pen test. Um, Is that similar with GitHub? Like, do people who generally do security, whenever they log into their normal websites, do they just do security? No, no,
1: no. Um, Honestly, that I remember. Whenever that came up, everyone's like, "Oh, Discord's going to get hacked." The vast majority of people that go to DEFCON, for example, I would say ninety-five percent of them, they are general security practitioners. They're interested in computer security. They're not actually in that active attack line. Then you probably have another 4% of people that actually have offensive skills. And a number of us in this industry these days are actually professionals. There's nothing to be gained if you're going to Discord and you're hacking Discord during DEF CON. If you show up and you're like, hey, I just hacked Discord at DEF CON today, the community at large is probably going to turn against you. Then you get into probably 1% or less than 1% of the people that attend conferences like DEFCON, which is probably one of the more technically advanced conferences, those people are scared. Those are actually the people that are doing the full on like you know, reverse engineering and trying to attack all kinds of different things as part of their jobs, predominantly. A very small percentage of the people that attend DEFCON and attend Black Hat and attend Wild West Hacking Fest are actually malicious and are hacking things without permission. Now, if you went back a number of years ago, the early 2000s, there was a lot more of that Wild Wild West type mentality where they would literally hack anything and everything. And that slowly has changed over time because a lot of those people ended up in prison. So there is a risk associated with doing that. So if you're trying to get glory in the information security realm, sure, you can hack something at DEF CON illegally. But here's the deal. There's a lot of things at DEF CON that you can hack legally that you don't (laughs) have to like go up and do things. Right. You get a lot more recognition, money and jobs and glory doing the right happy path. And I think that that helps out. We,
0: we got one last question on this before we move on. Uh, Chango asked a really great question. Is there a way to negotiate for a higher payout for a bug without crossing the line into resembling blackmail?
1: So this gets into another dark side of bug bounty programs. Um, I think it's absolutely possible to try to negotiate and you should never negotiate with this tactic. If you don't give me more money, I'm going to go public. That's yeah. that bad. Don't don't do that because that's getting very very close to uh, blackmail. Um, mm-hmm. At that point, I would agree, but it's not entirely the bug hunter's fault. If you look at the bug bounty system, a number of the bug bounty programs that are out there are inherently flawed because they're overloaded. There's way too many bugs coming in. Trying to do validation takes time, takes coordination takes a lot of effort and money, and it's easy for a lot of people that are hunting bugs to actually get frustrated and go away, maybe release it anonymously on a channel someplace else. The other problem that we're seeing in bug bounty programs, or at least we've seen, is many of the people that are validating the bug bounties are actually people that are in the bug bounty program. And we have seen cases where people will review a bug, say this bug is not a bug, then take that bug and submit it on their own name and get paid. So we don't really have this whole system locked down. Like at a high level, bug bounty programs sound great. We're gonna do crowdsourcing and we're gonna harness the power of the offensive community to find security vulnerabilities. And that's great at a high level, but it takes a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of effort and a lot of money to make sure it's done properly and it's done fair. So, Fantastic. Right? There we go. All right. Should we move on to the next one? Yep. So let's go on and let's talk about, uh, the, the, the kind of the second, actually this is the last story, but I've got it over three different things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this is a bit frustrating, um, to, to many people, but there is a very large database of, uh, voter registration information. I think it's something like 168 million records, uh, that are available for sale online. And, um, this is this is scary for a number of reasons. One, it's scary because that's a lot of data. And if we scroll down here, um, you can see the data that it has. Uh, let me see if I have a better view of this. I thought I had the rows and columns of it, but yeah, uh, that's hard for everyone to see. Let me let me zoom in on this right here. There we go. So as you can see, they have like county name, name, first name, last name, middle initial, residential address, zip code, mailing address, you know, a whole bunch of information about voters. Now, the data is not populated for every single record, but the core data tends to be there. A political affiliation name um, at a minimum is showing up in a lot of these different records. So this is a lot of data. And this is frustrating in the perspective of this is out there. But if you actually start trying to trace where this data actually came from, we're actually seeing a couple of different themes. It doesn't appear like this is from one single breach necessarily. It appears that this data is actually kind of hobbled together from a couple of different sources. So you can get a lot of data from free sources and sometimes that data will be different. Like one source may give you first name, last name, middle initial, political party affiliation. And then another source will give you first name, last name, address. And then another website will give you like first name, last name, and then phone number. So you can kind of take a whole bunch of these different disparate data sets and you can start assembling them more or less like Voltron to get a frightening amount of information on almost anybody. We, we know this because this is what we do in the offensive community as part of our reconnaissance, um, generally just trying to attack an organization. We'll do this, but do it specifically for a targeted organization. All the techniques that we use for open source intelligence or OSINT can be utilized, not just for testing a single company, but can also be done at scale as well. And that is what we're seeing a lot of these different databases look like. Attackers are doing open source intelligence at scale. They're collecting and hodgepodging this data together. And then it's becoming kind of this evil hacker Voltron where they're getting hundreds of millions or tens of millions of records that they can then sell and you can purchase them. In fact, not only do they have the ability to sell the data, but you can also leave reviews for the person that's getting the data. It's crazy. It's like a Yelp for hackers. So this voter affiliation database, the the, the big thing that I want people to understand is a lot of this data is available for free and anybody can actually go and get that data. Depending on the state that you live in, that data may be different as far as how much data it's going to give you. Um, So let me show you here real quick. So if I go to South Dakota voter, voter information, um, I can actually go to the voter registration name search um, associated. And I can put in first name, last name, date of birth, or I can put in a zip code, which I'm, I'm so happy that that's an or. It's like, if you know my name, John Strand, and you guess my zip code, you're going to pull up my political affiliation and where I actually need to vote. Um, Challenge that- accepted. <laughs> Challenge accepted. I'm sure it's already done. Um, Let's see how long it takes people Mm. to find uh, my (laughs) affiliation because this will be fun. Um, Now, the cool thing about what South Dakota is doing is they're putting in a CAPTCHA. And that's nice, even though there are, in fact, some bots that can bypass CAPTCHAs. Uh, The hard thing is there's a lot of states that don't. And I didn't want to call in any specific states that don't because I didn't want to call them out. But it makes it a lot easier for an attacker to get that information from that particular state. Um, further, there are some websites that you can actually pull down um, the entire database in some situations um, of name, first name, last name, affiliation, and a lot of the indications, especially for North Carolina, is talking about how this data, a lot of this data, may have came directly from um, North Carolina, uh, what is it, State Board of Elections. Uh, database, at least from North Carolina. So this is giving you an idea of two things. One, this data is available for you and for anybody. And many times this data is available directly through a portal like the state of South Dakota, and they may have locked it down or at least tried to with a CAPTCHA like the state of South Dakota, which is great. But other states may make it completely available for anyone to pull it down. We haven't gotten into the point of actually trying to protect Voter data as much as we should. And I think that this is something that's incumbent, once again, upon all of us in the information security community to start really trying to spend some time trying to do awareness and advocacy in our various states. I know, for example, in Iowa, there was a large number of different groups that assisted us with Awareness Con in Iowa that were talking to representatives, talking to legislatures uh, to let them know what real things were associated with computer security risks and what things we can actually work on as the various states. Because right now it's just absolutely horrific, the amount of data that can be harvested on all of this, And this is not going to be fixed for this particular election. This is something that we're absolutely going to have to live through. In fact, um, there was a story that, was, that hit the news, got a little bit political, where there were uh, like voter affiliation for parties was basically, they said, compromised, even though it wasn't in the state of Florida. And then emails were sent to these people mm-hmm. that were Democrats and Republican. And some of them were threatening emails saying vote for candidate X or else. That's voter intimidation. And then it even got more and more confusing because there there's uh, some stories that came out that it appeared like the attackers from Iran or Russia were really trying to support another candidate. And the point I like to talk about from these stories is don't allow the politics of the stories to interfere with the security of the stories. And what I mean by that is when we're talking about political interference in our elections by Russians, Iranians, North Koreans, whoever, it's easy for people to devolve into, it's Republicans, it's Democrats. And the fact of the matter is this is a security issue and we are the ones that actually need to work together to start addressing it as a security issue, trying to depoliticize the pin back in the grenade and get to the core issues that are at heart here. So, do we have so, any
0: questions? No, what I think I heard you say is that we're going to help organize 50 awareness cons next year, <laughs> one in each state.
1: You know what, dude, it's entirely possible the way this election may go. We're looking at what's happening in Washington and looking at what ha- what's happening in Louisiana and North Carolina. We might be in a lot of states going through and talking about how we secure. Um, elections my, my hope like i said is i'm hoping that we can depoliticize it and if we can that's not going to happen by the way i also want a flying magical unicorn uh, <laughs> but i i would like to see us try to depoliticize it in the industry and then really try to work on some solutions right any other questions that came up
0: not really just a lot of people mm-hmm. love the voltron reference so mm-hmm. just keep just keep that coming
1: so I have a question we're going to we'll open this up to people. What do we like better, the classic Voltron or the newer Voltron? Uh that's on Netflix. What do people like, classic or the original?
0: That's the one born in 1978. I don't know that there's a new Voltron. Any
1: other Have you ever seen the new Voltron? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. This needs to be remedied. Mm. There is okay. a a series and it is I like it. I I actually think it's better than the uh than the original series. Um, it has great stories, great arc, very, very, very,
0: Do they still have the the two legs, the arm, the chest, and the head?
1: Is oh that... yeah, yep. Okay. It, and it still takes like two minutes for it to stumble. Okay. Like every time it's yeah. the same, same scene every yeah.
0: single. Time. So, so I think the big question is, John, which character did you like to be? Were you like the left leg? Were you the right leg? <laughs> I, left I was, arm, right?
1: I I, yeah. I never could understand. Like how proud someone would be. Who are you? I'm the left leg lion. <laughs> You're the leg. Yes. Roar. <laughs> uh, you need
0: the left leg though, right? Like not, not everyone have, can do the head.
1: <laughs> you know, not everybody could be astronauts, right? So <laughs> be computer security. Not a bad constellation as well. Uh,
0: all right. Uh, I think that's the news for today.
1: <laughs> all right, everybody, thank you for joining. Um what do we got? Unhinged computer security, uh, hinge-free security. So, with that, um, we're going to take us out with the uh, with the news. And I I should have sheets of paper here, but we'll do. Oh, thank you for watching, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Don't don't kind of get. I wanted to thank
0: all of our news team. We have a news team. (laughs) Thanks to to the news team for finding these articles for us, putting it in the Discord channel that we asked you to put it in, and that's where we got the news from. Okay, now John, go.
1: It makes my job much easier because I just go open the links and tap (laughs) and I'm done. So thank you for doing my job for me. All right, with that, let's take it out.
0: Ryan, kill it. All right. (laughs) Kill it, Ryan. Kill it. (laughs)